1: Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today.
0: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of the Rise Together podcast. I am excited to have my friend, Anthony Trucks. He uh, on the show this week as a former NFL athlete, an American ninja warrior from uh, the NBC show. He speaks around the world, uh, was the founder of Identity Shift Coaching, and now is the host of Awe Shift a podcast where he teaches his listeners to focus on the critical areas of any success or failure in life. Uh, He grew up in foster care, learning to shift at any young age. And now, uh, more than anything in his career, he's teaching other people how to make shift happen in life and business through his work. He's a good dude. And if you do not already know him, you're going to want to after this conversation. Please welcome Anthony Trucks to the Rise Together podcast. What would the world look like if we all pushed ourselves to have candid conversations with people who didn't look like us, think like us, or live like us? I'm Dave Hollis, and I'm on a mission to learn more about this world by meeting more of the people who live here. You may not always agree with everything you hear, but I guarantee you'll come away more informed on topics you might never have thought to seek out before. This isn't just a podcast. It's a community. And when we raise each other up, we all rise together.
1: Hello, Anthony. Hey, my man. It's almost like you do this, like, professionally or oh,
0: something. <laughs> you know what? Uh, I do have the weirdest job in the world, like you. I know that it is. We, we have odd jobs. So funny. But My wife just told me. I'm slowly becoming more comfortable with this uh, odd job of mine, as I know you are as well. Yeah. I mean, I've had the benefit, and that's, I think, the same way that you have. Uh, watching you become so comfortable doing this work has been such a treat in my life, because you're a friend, and I am rooting for you all the time, but... Uh, I think back to meeting you for the first time and we were both still trying to kind of figure out a little bit of like who we were going to be in this space, what our brand was going to be, the message, the, the thing that we might be known for. And man, I just think you found your spot and it's so, so good to see. I know I just gave you a bit of an introduction, but for anyone uh that you were going to meet say at a cocktail mm-hmm. party how would you introduce yourself and uh, why would you suggest that you were here on this planet
1: today great question man um it feel like it changes every day right you know, you were actually there at the birth of this new concept of identity that i kind of ushered into i just thought about that as you said it but how would, if yeah. i was to introduce myself I'm a, I'm a man of god i'm a husband i'm a father uh, and i'm a servant man I, I love to show up and it's weird like i get this enjoyment out of doing something that the world enjoys that I do. I think that's really where that sweet spot hits. And so I get out and I just talk and I share a bunch of weird stuff that people are like, how do you share that? Like, why are you talking about things other humans should keep to themselves? But that's my thing. And, and really, I found that my my area that I've dug into, while it is identity, it's really helping people. Uh, like I tell people, I help you eliminate guilt and overwhelm It's kind of an odd thing, but it's really the, the thing that's attached to identity in a way
0: interesting all right let's start there i didn't see this coming but i i think it's a, a really really interesting place to start what is it about the identities that we've assumed that allows guilt or overwhelm to be present or what is it mm-hmm. like when does it end up having uh guilt or overwhelm leading the charge
1: when your identity has like morphed into what yeah well i think that the fun and not so fun thing is we all have these identities that have, they're in place like us over time, we're doing things and we become this person. Boom, we're there, right? And then we have in the past, or we're currently every day creating guilt, or it's it's been piling up. So what I've noticed is uh, for a lot of us, this becomes this thing we're perpetually living in. So I found it's like these two areas we call it, we we'll call it toxic and guiding guilt. And the toxic guilt's the stuff from the past that I go, ah, this is this is this person who I am created this and it anchors us and it keeps us stuck, right? It's the shame. It's the thing where I didn't do this thing. It's the overwhelm from I'm never gonna get out of this hole. And so we have this toxic guilt where it actually makes us think we don't deserve more, or at the same time, we think we're not capable of more. Yeah. So this is what I call this as toxic guilt, right? And it's it's really anchored in how we operate every day from an identity standpoint. Then I have on the other side, I've found guiding guilt, right? Who I am and what I did did this thing, right? And I felt short of some potential, messed something up and I look in my future and go, I've gotten past this, but I took the actions to do it, or I'm in a consistent state of doing it. And I go, you know what? Because it took place, I'm not gonna do that again, right? Like I had issues in my past where like, I wasn't a good husband. I wasn't a good father. And so when my son like, hey, daddy, you want to go do this thing? Before I'd be like, no, I got to work. Now I'm like, oh, I don't want to be that guy again. Let's go do this thing. So that guilt from the past has guided me in a better place, but it's all rooted in who am I when I'm not thinking about who I am? Ooh. And that's that that's that space where identity floats in. It's the natural flow of our lives and it creates or perpetuates guilt.
0: That is that is such a good one. Who am I when I'm not thinking about who I am? Because it's there where you're just like in your flow, your traditional normal state, and you are showing up as yourself without having to act or without having yeah. to curate, without having to that man, that's interesting. Okay. So for those that don't know your story, why don't you start? if you don't mind, just taking us a little bit through how shift and identity has been such a, a place that you have felt called in because of the number of different shifts that you yourself have been through.
1: Yeah. Uh, you know, there's, there's a lot of them, man. We counted one time, my wife and I, I was like 30 weird ones that a lot of people, we found like a lot of people wouldn't get out of these ones. Somehow I got out and I literally say like somehow, cause I don't know how it would happen. Right. If you go back, like when I was a kid, I was giving away at three into foster care. Take foster care just at face value what it is. 75% of prison inmates in America are former foster kids, Half wow. the homeless population has spent time in foster care, and less than 1% of us foster kids ever graduate from college, right? So just the moment she gave me in, I was already doomed statistically. Now, I spent 11 years in the system and went through some craziness. On top of that, I had to deal with, okay, I was uh, eventually like, Beaten, starve weird stuff for like three years up until the age of six. And then I got put into a family, my current family. The dynamic there was I'm the only Black person in an all white family. So now I got this new dynamic of identity. Who am I? Where do I fit? What goes? It's just weird, right? And then I get adopted and now I'm this guy it's adopted, but our family was really poor. So now I'm the poor Black kid in an all white family, all white community. Like this is just before I'm 14, by the way, right? So it progresses up for years. I ended up um, trying sports, not being good there, getting really good at sports, You know, going to college on a scholarship against all the odds of like my family the only athlete, have a kid at 20 years old, meet my real dad at 20 years old, lose some grandparents to one suicide and one cancer. So I'm dealing with this dynamic. I'm married to my high school sweetheart by the end of college. We had a kid together. And then I go in the NFL. Whole new identity again, right? I'm this guy. Then it all comes crashing down. Right? I come home because uh, I had an injury in my shoulder on my third team. And while I believed I was great, all of a sudden I'm like, I wasn't great with that football. This is how I thought. I I am football. That's all I am. And so when I was that thing and I lost that thing, I didn't just lose a thing. I lost myself. Yeah. And so now I'm at this point of, you know, my my marriage falls apart. I opened this gym business. I'm doing horrible at it. I'm getting out of shape. I'm not a present father. I don't have football. Like everything that made Anthony Anthony was gone. And so I, I got to a rock bottom. At one point I was suicidal. Like it all just, the, the lows are the lows, man. And it was a climb out of there. And so like I had all these different dynamics. And then top of that, unfortunately, a few years later, I lose my mom, my adoptive mom to multiple sclerosis. So it was just a whirlwind of having to battle through life, trying to beat me up. Like that's what it felt like. I was just taking blow after blow from every direction. And when I said earlier, somehow, somehow I got through it, man. Like somehow I got to a point where I woke up one day it was like 2016, was New Year's Day, in fact. And I'd gone through this weird journey I'd somehow figured business out a little bit, I had some re- re- revenue coming in. And I went to Russia for some reason to speak to people that didn't speak English. Dude, I don't even know how that worked out. Met a Russian woman and Google Translate allowed us to have communication. She flies to the States. And this is what it was like this moment of like guilt. We'll talk about, I wake up New Year's Day and I go into the bathroom and she's in the bed and I just felt dirty. Mm. Like, you know, it, it, there's this, there's a social thing where it's like, cool to have a bunch of girls, get a foreign girl. And like, but then when you're in the middle of it, there was this thought of like, oh, uh, like I would never want my daughter to be with a man like me. My my boys, I would never want them to be even close to being this human. My mom would not approve of this. My guy wouldn't let me into heaven, man. And it was this really interesting moment where I was like, this is not the trajectory I want to be on. Where this path is going, I don't want to go. Yeah. That was that that was more than guilt. That was like shame. And that was the catalyst for me to start moving in a different direction, trying new things. And you know, after doing the weird stuff I teach now, I got to this point where after like I divorced my wife at the time years before, but three years after divorce, remarried my ex-wife. We're about five years deep in a remarriage. It's an amazing marriage. My kids have a present father. I'm in great shape. Business runs smooth. Like this has been a really interesting and really cool climb. And I it was where we met together, right? We met fishing for trout down there in Jacksonville, Wyoming. That's where the idea came through at the time. I want to talk about trust your hustle at work, football guy, right? Hustle. And our, our friend, Ethan Willis goes, uh, I don't like it. I go, yeah, what do you mean, <laughs> dude? <laughs> you know, cause someone was killing my baby in front of me. I'm like, what are you talking about? You don't like it. And he's like, you know, at the end of the day, there's a message and a messenger. And you'll know this. Like, I love the, the new book you have this concept because it is the message for you as the messenger dude. And he says, if you are a messenger with the wrong message, it never lands. If you have the, the right message, but you're the wrong messenger, never lands. And he says, You're the messenger, Anthony, but the message isn't yours. He's like, What I want to know, how did you get through all that crap, all those different shifts of your identity to get yeah. to right now? And I was like, Oh, and Brandon goes, Oh, and I go, Ooh. <laughs> so that was that was the journey, man. That's what got me here.
0: It's so wild. I one, I mean, I just want to acknowledge that I I I love what you're saying about like it's gotta be your message. You you can't be the messenger of something that isn't your own. What's what's been, I think, interesting for me and playing out in real time is I man, I have so much pride for that book that just came out of mine. And also I find myself as much the messenger as the intended recipient of the message, because I am, mm-hmm. I think, in, in this weird duality both teaching and, and a student of the teaching and will be as a work in progress for a long, long time to come. But I'm yeah. sure that there is something in the way that this work has become another version of who you are, that in some ways it's also acting as a cathartic healing agent for some of the times when identity that had been assigned or that you accepted as who you now were sometimes created limitations, sometimes didn't yeah. have you feeling great, had the shame, had the whatever you know it ended up being, Mm-hmm. but now has become through all of the work and the work that will continue. I'm sure for the rest of your life, you know, so yeah. you can make peace with that you can celebrate you can still have accountable conversations around, but also, um, there's a lot of freedom and surrender and accepting, you know, who you've been, even though you're no longer going to be who that person was, which is, I think also a yeah. great thing.
1: It's okay. It's, it's supposed to be, man. It's just uh, it's a journey, dude. But I, yeah. Yeah. You know, it's funny is I have this, uh, this picture. It might tie to your, your thing, but I have this this painting on my wall, and it says, "Smooth seas never made skilled sailors." Right. Right. And it's it's this one that I I don't know where I heard it years ago. Before I, it was like college, I heard it. I was like, "Oh, I like that," because my whole journey. But I think that's the thing, right? There's always going to be smooth seas, but there's two types of sailors. One's down under the deck, batting the hatches. One's up there sipping tea, screaming at the rain, you know. And I'd prefer to be the latter. Yeah. When you're thinking about
0: having to catalog why you've become who you become or like trying to assign something cause and effect to like who you are today, man, like so proud of who you are and the present dad. Mm-hmm. Are you able to appreciate, is there some kind of gratitude that comes that some of the things that happened that were your least proud moments produced some of the things that you're now most proud
1: of? Oh yeah. I mean, yeah. And I, I wish I could give a more emphatic yes, to be quite honest. Like, you know, it is, I want to be like, yeah, and then everybody, because everybody's, when you ask that question, like, you know, I'm happy. But to the depths of my soul, am I, you know, when I look back at the person I was, like, the, my marriage fell apart. Now, I'll be honest with your audience, because I always have been, like, my, my wife stepped out on me, right? And I'm remarried to her, so let's just move that back and forth for a moment, right? But back in those moments in time, Think about what took place, man. It was at all times like she's horrible. How could you do this to me? I I loved. I never stepped out on you. I'd never lied. You never cheated on you and but what I was doing is this time, I'd come back, I'd lost myself. I had nothing that made me me. So I wanted to build me, right? I gave all of my energy to this gym business. I wanted to be the guy again, you know? And so I neglected this woman who was my wife, had been together since high school, and I thought she's not going anywhere. I had her since high school. She ain't going anywhere, right? Top of that, she has a four-year-old and newborn twins. I'm gone from 6 a.m. to 10 p.m. each day. Now, this is going to get to your question. And it's the hard journey of what you just talked about. For about two and a half years, I pushed her into the dirt with every word I could as often as I could. Right. How could you do this? Mother, my kids. I, and then at one point, I stepped back and I had that realization, that moment in January. and I was like, why? why in the world did this all happen? Because I looked at my life as a whole and I realized, oh, crap, I'm the common denominator in all of my problems. Whether I created it or I allowed it, like there's some piece of Anthony here. And so it led me to say, okay, well, why why did the marriage fall? What was my role in it? Yeah. What was oddly, what was my role in her stepping out? Most people will never ask that question. I know from experience and asking. (laughs) Uh, But here was my realization this doesn't take away from her decision in any way, right? It took two people in a relationship to get to a point where she even thought she needed to make a decision. Yeah. That, that was one of the things you're talking about. I go in and go, ooh. Now, what I enjoy about that is now when I look back at these moments of my life and I feel any part, this is my guiding guilt, any part of me doing the thing that would attach the emotion to what I was as a man back then, as a husband back then, I run away as fast as I can, right? Whether it's like, hey, love, can you do that? I don't want to do that. I'm like, no, I got that. Like I haven't said no to sex in probably, I don't know, four years, right? I haven't. I do the things that are asked me. It's weird. But this is that that part where it ties into me learning that lesson. Because think about if I don't, if I don't, I'm the same guy, doing the same thing, living the same life. I do not have the joy I have right now, and I would trade. I wouldn't trade honestly. I would wouldn't trade any part of it. But I would do the same thing probably seventy times over, if it meant I get to the same place. Not seventy one yeah. more. I'm just kidding. But <laughs> no, I would do the Same thing, you know. But that's the part of it. So in a long runabout answer, hell yeah, man. All those things that took place, I didn't like them but I have such a depth of appreciation for them.
0: When you think about or have a client who's, you know, representing stuckness, right? Like they are bumping up against the same problems over and over. How do you assess that? Oh, it's shift. That's necessary. That that identity is the barrier to you having a breakthrough or is complicit in keeping you stuck in this spot where you've stopped growing, you're unfulfilled. And until you embrace shift, uh, you aren't gonna do anything more or better with it, with your life.
1: Yeah, so in a simple way, there's a statement that I, I love. And what it states is, it's hard to see the label when you're inside the jar. And that label is a label the rest of the world sees. And that label mm. is how you're operating. Yeah. And your your life as it is right now is happening because of the actions you take. A lot of them just reactionary and subconscious identity-based. And so what happens is most people have the same thing because they do the same thing. And in order to get something different, in order for you to change what you have this experience to get unstuck, it ends up being actions. There's a statement I love also says action and suffering. You're suffering in this experience. There's going to be an action you take. Are all actions going to solve it? Absolutely not. But there will be one. It's the right one that changes it. However, Dave, the action that you're going to have to take is going to feel like you're pulling your own stomach out of your body. Yeah. It's it's going to be this one that unsettles you. Your head knows it's right, but the heart fights it, right? And the reason you do is because it feels out of character or out of identity. I'm not the person that does that. That's not who I am. I've never done that before. Yeah, I know. And guess what? You never had that before. So the logic is sound, but the action is usually difficult. And so what I tell people is, if you feel stuck, first check in and go, all right, uh, is there something that I could do that could change this? And be honest with yourself. You know there's going to be something different. And when you are met with what that is, how does it make you feel? Yeah. And if you don't know how to do this, here's one thing I would say. Look at a person that you you acknowledge and know beyond yourself. Like maybe they know Dave, right? Ask yourself, what would Dave do in this situation? Because the difference is, it's people will say, ask what your better self would do and ask your future self. There's studies by UCLA that found out that you don't actually have a connection to your future self. It's a stranger part of your brain lights up when people ask about future self. But if I know and watch and pay attention to certain people I respect, like Dave, like I know if Dave has a run on the schedule. Dave's getting the run, man. And no question, he's going to do it somehow like a magician walking and talking and running while he lives. (laughs) I don't know how you do it, dude. If I walked in my car too fast, (laughs) I can't breathe right so the idea is like that's something i know and so if i ask that question outside of my current identity into one i might respect the answer comes back and i go okay that's what they would do and then you go oh that would be hard to do great now you see what it is and you can attach your being stuck to simply you're stuck in the jar you don't see that you're typically not the person to do this now we got to do a different action out of character to get unstuck
0: Wow. That's good. What's what's crazy too is because I have myself been stuck. I think I, in a weird way, had some bizarre romanticization, uh, some like nostalgia almost for the comfort I had in my suffering. Like mm-hmm. I didn't enjoy my suffering, but I knew it well. Yeah. And because of how well I knew it, the idea of pushing into something that was disconnected from it because of that unknown was scary, so I opted to just stay. What felt more predictable, right? I yeah. could count. I could count on my suffering to be there. I don't know what it is, or if you've run into something in the identity right. work of why we, as humans, would choose to stay with the familiar, even though it's killing us, at the yeah. expense of trying or pushing
1: into something new. Yeah, it's, uh, well, it's that whole thing, the evil you know is better than the evil you don't. You know, that's yeah. one, one part of it. But there's actually a good book by Charles Duhigg called Power of Habit. And, and if you understand identity, identity is is it's a, the back end of a habit, right? If I do something long enough, it becomes who I am to do it. So that at one point where it was hard to run, think about your journey into running, it was hard in the beginning. And now it's like, weird if I don't, it's weird if I don't work out, right? It's just, it's harder if I don't. So that that is a habitual end result into an identity. Now, habit, there's this thing called homeostasis that we all have. There's this, this neutrality of where we operate. And there were studies done where they took these families and chaotic families, when things got calm, somebody in the family created chaos to bring it back up to chaos. In a family where they were calm, if someone had some chaos, they all shut down until it came down to calm. And what it essentially was, was like this, this nuance to go back to where you're at. And also, even if it's good for you, even if like, for example, even if it's good to eat super healthy, these things, right? Because it's different. It is the feeling attached to it is difficult. So even if we're in a crappy place doing funky things that we know will be better to do something else, it's just so hard because of our homeostasis to go do it. It's like yeah. a set point in our brain.
0: I, I, I want to I wanna like understand how to change identity before it feels like it's an emergency situation, Ooh, right? I like, I, like cause I, I've been through a lot of identity shift myself, yep. not as many as you by any stretch, but I've described change as a constant in my life, either the change that I chose or the change that chose me. Mm-hmm. And, you know, certainly going from, you know, entrepreneurs into entrepreneurship, from corporate America or choosing adoption and changing the dynamic of our family. Like those were changes. And in that change, my identity as now someone who was working, you know, not at the Walt Disney Company or someone who uh, was now the parent of a multicultural child or an adoptive dad. Those those things were things that I chose. But uh, in the in the instance of leaving Disney as a for example, like I had to choose a new identity because I was dying in that old identity Mm -hmm. Is there something that if someone doesn't feel crisis, but knows that something's off that you recommend that they do before they hit crisis mode, because man, like I want to preemptively, proactively get ahead of identity shift or identity tweak Mm -hmm. so that it's done before it feels like I've become a worse version of myself to act as the catalyst to make that change.
1: Yeah, hundred percent. I love it. And yes, there is. Like that's that's the cool thing about it is, you can. You don't have to wait until uh, all the car breaks down, right? If you start seeing like the, the alert go off, don't wait till the engine actually shuts down. The light pops yeah. on, you know. And we, the cool thing is, we have these lights. We have these 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 things that pop up. We just choose to ignore them. And there's a method we use called the shift method, right? And there's three stages: C shift, sustain. Most people jump to the shift stage, which is the working stage. And they do things. I'm going to do the things that Dave does. I'm going to do the things that Anthony does. I'm going to do the things that Heidi does, which sounds good because they're living some cool lives. What we don't notice is our car might have a flat tire, timing belts off, and a window's busted. Well, Dave's car might need a new steering wheel, and there's, you know, there's transmissions out. What we end up doing is going, I'm going to fix the steering wheel and transmission because Dave's got to work on that. And we neglect the fact that your tire, your timing belt, your window are all messed up, can't drive. So the C stage is where you have either yourself going through a process like we have or enlisting outside people, take a snapshot and see first so that at the shift stage, you're not fixing somebody else's car. And so what you do is, yes, you can do this. We have these things every, every other week where you're always doing these specific things. We call it roots and fruits and ideal identity. We take a look and we say, hey, what's going on? And if you can drop the ego, which is everyone's greatest obstacle, EGO, if you can pull that thing back and allow yourself to be seen and to see, you'll find that you don't have to wait until you run into a wall to fix your parts of the car.
0: Yeah. I've had this experience recently with Heidi in fitness and, and in like just body movement transformation, nutrition. I never saw myself as someone who, you know, was necessarily able to build or um, like body build, you know, weight train.
1: Yeah.
0: And, uh, and we just did a recent episode of this show where we we're talking about this like observation that she had of something that she saw in me that I couldn't see in myself. Mm. And what it made me like appreciate then. And now as I'm sitting here talking to you is that so many times my identity blocks were born out of the weight that I was giving to other people's belief of who I was as opposed to my own belief of who I am Mm -hmm. and the power sometimes of someone having an observation of what they could see in me that would counter the story I was telling about who I believe myself to be because of the way I've allowed other people sometimes to inform what I think of myself. Those are two, I know, separate things, but I'm wondering if like, yeah, there's, there's a, it's a, it's a little bit of a virtuous circle, but yeah, you know, like I'm curious in your work, like how do we pull ourselves away, free ourselves from the way that other people assigning identity to us would have mm-hmm. us accept or believe in it. Mm-hmm. And then separately, if we're, if we become free, how do we see some of what other people who love us are able to see when that critic inside of us would try to convince us of an alternative story? Yeah.
1: It's, pretty it's, big, it's, it's, big questions. Goodness no, gracious. it
0: is, it is, but it's not. <laughs> it's, very,
1: it's, it's well unpacked so anybody can understand what I'm about to share and, and make sense of it. So this is all within the same bucket of work I do, which is kind of, it's great. This is good. I'm enjoying it. So the idea is, let's put this way: you have an identity in place regardless of how it got there, what you believe, didn't believe, somebody else put on you, there's an identity in place. And this identity is protected by actions that arise from the ego. Imagine like an armor, right? Whether it's a good part or a bad part of the identity, your ego will protect it. And so if you haven't accomplished this thing, the ego will come in and say, oh, I didn't because da, 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 this one took place, right? If you are in a space where you have accomplished it and someone tries to pull you back and why well, I'm this good? Like, look how great I am, right? We, we we stay in this bubble, and what's interesting is essentially in that space, it's hard to see anything outside. And so other people can see. It's like that whole circle of what you don't know, and what you don't know, you don't know, right? Mm-hmm. My wife did this too. When I did the ninja warrior thing, I had no, I had no idea it existed. My wife was like, "You could do this." I'm like, "No, I can't." These guys are like five foot eight, and I'm like six foot two. And I got like eighty pounds on some of these guys. She's like, "You got it." And I hit a buzzer. Didn't think I could, but she thought I could, right? The idea was that when I looked at my life, I wasn't allowing the ego to open up a hole in either direction to express or expand. And when you can do that and realize that a poke on the ego isn't a poke on your identity. It's just a poke on the outside armor. You allow yourself to be open to more, more feedback, more criticism. The people that I know that are the best humans are the ones that can that can take an idea, even though it might poke their ego and go, oh, thanks. You know, like. <laughs> Oh, like, oh, thanks. be thanks. Like, How do you let people say it to you? I'm like, oh, what, what, I know who I am. You know, like, what, so at the end of the day, if you, I know this identity inside and I know that I want that to be better. Therefore, I know that in order for me to be better, I got to see things I don't see. I got to open up the holes, open up the ego armor and let people poke and say and, and kind of feedback so I can then take a section of the identity that doesn't belong in there, get rid of it, and then fill the hole with the thing I want in there that that thing might have been put in there. From my mom giving me away and me assuming I didn't deserve very good things for a lot of years, right? So I'm going to carve that out. I'm going to put my own thing in there. This part of my identity might come from the football ego thinking you're so great because you played sports and it helped me carve that bad boy out, put something in it. so going to be more a little humble, right? These are parts of the area that we have to work on. And yes, at times it is designed by somebody else. And at times it wasn't intentionally done by us. We did do it. The moment you can look inside and let other people peer past that's how you get to kind of the, the progression and steps towards improving life.
0: So good. You know, who's great at uh, receiving, like I've never seen it from anyone unlike him, but our, our mutual friend, Tom You like I have watched mm-hmm. him take feedback and be like, Oh man, that's great. Thank you. Like unaffected, yeah. grateful <laughs> for it. I'm like, man, I want to yeah. emulate this guy's ability mm-hmm. to take the poke and the ego. Cause it's like, he's, he is looking for, the breadcrumbs. He's looking for the intel that comes from somebody coming at him in whatever way with whatever feedback. What's interesting is I, in the aftermath of divorce for me, was lost in identity again, because I was no longer who I'd been and was searching desperately for who I was outside of a moniker that had for so long been the central part of how I might describe myself husband to her. Mm -hmm. And I ended up jumping into this therapy called internal family systems where I was looking at self and self's relationship to parts. And so when you talk about the poke of ego, like a lot of that work ends up being, Mm -hmm. all right, what role does ego believe itself to be playing to protect you so that you can separate yourself from being ego or the person being poked, but more understanding the role that ego is attempting to play to keep you safe or, uh, you know, whatever it might end up being. Does it make yeah. it easy? No. Like just because I understand it intellectually doesn't mean I still don't have reactions Emotions. of ego. Cause yeah, I'm an emotional dude, but, um, it's an, it is a super, super interesting thing. I yeah. uh, know that you just recently released a book. Can you tell us a little bit about, uh, making shift happen and, uh, what people who read the book can expect were they to pick it up?
1: Yeah, the the book was written as an accident, to be honest, the beginning. And at one point, I was like, this is going to be the book. And I wrote it as the book. And then I got through it. And I was like, man, there's a lot more to could be in this book. So I got another one that's in the path. But the books, I've got phenomenal feedback from, which has been awesome to my heart. Uh, but the book was designed in two parts. One was to get the concept of identity to be grounded. Not a lot of people have a, a working understanding of how identity works, period. Like they, they've heard of it. It's been a word they've heard, but no one really grasped it. So I I wanted to anchor it in a a tactical, tangible way mentally. Then the other part of the book, the second half was, okay, now that I know that, how do I flip the levers, push the buttons? How How do I shift this thing intentionally? And so I put our shift method in the back half so people can go through it and actually apply the things necessary to start making an intentional shift. Their life, much like I did back when I went from that that morning in 2016 to where I'm at now.
0: When I attempt to describe identity, at least the way that I've experienced identity in my life, I've I've suggested that there are a couple of different kind of experience anchors. Uh, In central experiences, the things like in Riley's mind and inside out are these like defining experiences of our life that help inform who we believe ourselves to be. You know, mom giving away baby at three years old may in fact be one of these central experiences. And then something I call circumstantial experiences, things that happened to have happened, but that don't necessarily define who we are. Mm-hmm. And for me, when I felt myself most stuck, it was that the story that those experiences were telling and how they might inform who I believe myself to be were colored through negativity and not the opportunity that those experiences also happened to have created. Yeah. And so I, I am um, I work through this hypothesis of like, hey, I think that you have a couple of opportunities. If you feel yourself stuck, you're not going to change your experiences but could you change the attribution that you have of those experiences in one of two ways, either finding the good and the hard, finding the good and the bad, even if it was unfair, you didn't deserve it. No one wants to have to go through it or you, you know would never want to experience that kind of thing. Or is there a way for you to surrender, make peace with that experience in a way that turns it from central into circumstantial, from something that holds weight to something that no longer is anything more than something that happens to have happened. And mm-hmm. uh, since I'm not an expert in identity, right? This is me, Dave, sharing how I have experienced identity. I wonder if there are any of the things in your work, your experience, your you know own experience with identity that either corroborates or pokes holes in, because I'm not sure that this is uh, a universal experience of how Uh, experiences historically translate into identity. I just know Mm -hmm. that's the way that I've experienced it. And I'm curious how that matches up with anything you have.
1: I mean, it's very in line. It has a parallel to it. I kind of, I would sum up what you said is no moment has any meaning except the meaning we place upon it. Right. So it's like this thing happened. I get it. There are core parts of who Anthony is that are good things and how I see the world, how I experience the world. Like, you know, me being in foster care with an all white family, it's a core part of my being of the way that I see the world, the jokes I can make like we had before we came on. Like that's, possible for me because i'm like i'm just a guy just doing my thing you know like there's a part of me but there are the other ones that are outside and i can choose to give whatever meaning i want to it i can easily do that right and when i when i choose the meaning that doesn't serve me then i live from that then i start living this life that feels like a crappy experience like it just sucks because the world's a mirror to us now what i i did hear in that is this thing that took place that you know was let's say it wasn't ideal what i do know is I attach a lot of those things to feelings in some manner of what I call like a failure. Like I am a failure or I failed in some way or something failed me. And what I look at in my Roma of identity is I want to reframe that because there's actually we have something called the reframing failure framework I teach. There's like top three um, areas that are called abject, structural, glorious failure. They're the hard ones are difficult or unfixable. So I just I walk away. The emotion of it is just too difficult to face. So I never learn anything. I just walk away from it. And I think. That's who I am. I deserve that. That's what I've done, right? Stick there. That's my identity. Below this, what I call learning line, the bottom three, you have common, why the apology was created, version and predictable. These levels of failure or someone failing me are simply, you know what? It was an accident. Didn't mean to happen. Or that version of me, that version of my identity wasn't perfect. What did I learn that I could reapply differently next time or predictable? Look, this whole life we're living is just a matter of us doing things that aren't going to work the way we planned. It's not always that bad, right? Sports is this way. I go every day when I played football every day, I was great. I'm going to get yelled at. I know it. It's just inevitable. Right. And if you can live in that space, what happens is all these moments I give a different meaning and now it's, I missed a mistake. It's okay. I'm not bad. That moment didn't pan out well, or this version of me in the relationship and the business and the situation, me at the McDonald's when the ladies do it, whenever I'm just making something up, you know, these moments aren't great or Hey, Life's a matter of things failing. It's okay. Like if you can live in that space, now what happens is different meaning, different lesson being learned. I can reapply these things and have a different life, a whole different identity and experience.
0: Yeah, I mean the headline is every time I've learned. Not, I mean, I'm, I'm sure there were times when I learned through success, but the impact of learning through failure has had a wildly more profound. Uh, you know, it's landed more profoundly in how I've now been able to apply that learning in some way for growth or in some way it helped change who I thought I was because of what I was able to take away from not having gotten it right in the first place. And uh, if if in some ways I think we're able to just see the price of entry of becoming that we're gonna inevitably try things that we don't know how to do well first at first and that in doing those things and not getting it right, that's how we learn how to get it right or get it more right uh, over time. I mean, yeah, it's, it's I mean, it sounds simple, but I still find myself averse to wanting to have to publicly fail. I'd like to just yeah. uh, get everything <laughs> perfectly right at the beginning, but that's also not yeah. a recipe for becoming who I'd hope to be, right?
1: No, nah, man, no. I actually use it as an example in my work in one of my frameworks mm-hmm. called the ID phase, like the identity phase grid. Cause you're a good example. Like there imagine a grid, I'm gonna do a real brief. Imagine a grid that has one line of whether I'm locked into my identity and one line that has whether I'm searching for things in life to experience that could be part of my identity. If I'm not locked in and I'm not searching, I am lost. I'm floating through life. These people go to funky places. If I'm locked into my identity, but I've never searched, family does this, what I'm meant to do. When you do that, you're like doing this thing and I'm locked in, ah, but what else could there be, right? The other side of it is, well, I'm searching, but I'm not locked in, I'm open, free spirit doing my thing. At a certain point, you find something that you love. You're like, oh, I fall in love with this thing. Oh, this is great. Disney, I'm going to go do this. You're found. I'm experiencing it. I'm, I'm locked in. I'm doing this to me. Look at me. Hey. And then comes a really interesting place where you have climbed above the majority of society. You're doing something, but you don't love it. Ah, uh, what do I do, right? I'm I'm found. I thought I liked this. And most people, like you said, are deathly afraid of failing. It's kind of cool. All you have to do is unlock, man. You Go back to open.
0: Yeah. What else is out
1: there? And I go searching again. And here's the thing is most people go, okay, well, I'll search. I'm open, but I'm not locked in. No, no. Find something else you love, lock back in. It should not be a concrete grid. It's a loop between open and found, open and found. And that process is one that involves trying and failing. Yeah. The whole thing is beautiful. And I call that life.
0: Yep. It's real. It is real. It's real. Oh, man. I could talk to you forever, but we don't have time to talk forever. I uh, just appreciate you and the work that you're doing in this stinking world. If people are not yet best friends with you, I don't know what is wrong with them, but we need to change that immediately. Where do you send people to learn more about you, how to follow you on social, all the good
1: stuff? Yeah, man. Go to at Anthony Trucks. It's uh, simple on Instagram. I probably a good place to tell you where to go. That's where I live, man. I hang out on Instagram. I obviously don't really live there, but that's the coolest place to find out what I do. And the rabbit hole opens from there, we'll call it.
0: Excellent. Love that. And uh, the content you're putting out there is fire at all times. If uh, I, if you would, I'm going to have you answer the question that I tend to ask at the end of every single one of these episodes, and that is, if you could leave our listeners today with a single practical piece of advice, uh, it could be an idea, quote, comment, something that's mm-hmm. on your heart that would afford them just a little bit of peace or some kind of breakthrough what is that single thing that you would leave with people today?
1: Oh man, there's always like 50. I'm I know, it's head. a hard question. Like what's your favorite song? Like, I don't know, I don't know the name. <laughs> uh, no, there's one that I always I always tell people because the goal for me, like I talked about at the beginning is to help you make shift happen, right? It's, it's, it's that space you do something that lights your soul on fire and to exist an identity that has what I call hustle harmony, like a space where you're getting things done, but there's harmony to all of it. And I do know the biggest bear for most people is just the start right? And so one message I tell people is you got to own your shift. Now you put them all together. We get it. You got to own what's up there, right? But the first thing is to own single word own, but there's something you can do to change your, your position. If you don't at first own that, then you won't do anything necessary. Second part is your, which means it's your responsibility to do the work. I can't come save your life. Dave can't, wife can't, kids can't. You got to do the work. Now there are people who own there's something they got to work on and they know it's their responsibility, but they do nothing. That's when the last ones shift. You have to shift the way that you see yourself, shift what's possible, and shift the way you show up to your life. If you can own your shift, you can make shift happen.
0: Man, so good. And somebody needed to hear that today. Having accountability, appreciating that no one is coming to save you, actually creating some energy and action around it. Good work, my man. I appreciate you, Mr. Anthony Trucks, for hanging out on this episode of the Rise Together podcast uh ladies and gentlemen if you got anything from this episode and how the heck could you have not i would encourage you to take a picture of the episode put it up in your social tag myself tag anthony let somebody in your life know something that you took away encourage them to take some action make some shift happen in their life as well between now and the next episode it's time to make shift happen Thank you, Anthony, for being here, brother. I appreciate you. Welcome, man. Thanks for having me. Of course. We'll see you next week on the Rise Together podcast. Rise Together is hosted by me, Dave Hollis. This show is edited by Andrew Weller with production support by Sterling Coates. Cameron Berkman is our executive producer. Rise Together is
1: a product of The Hollis Company.